Welcome to Star Trek Age of Discovery. I'm Adele Austin Anderson. And I'm Gary Anderson. And we're a married couple who are longtime fans of Star Trek. Today we're breaking down 17 Seconds, the third episode of Season 3 of Star Trek Picard. We'll conclude our podcast with the latest Star Trek news. Before we begin, please remember our analysis contains spoilers. So if you haven't yet watched this episode, you may want to do so before listening to our comments. Now, Gary, let's start off with the synopsis for 17 seconds. Picking up from last week's episode, the Titan attempts to use a nebula to hide from the warship, the Shrike. Somehow, the enemy ship can track the Titan despite their best efforts. Taking advice from Riker, Captain Shaw orders the ship to go deeper into the nebula. There is a flashback scene taking place in Los Angeles at the 10 Forward Bar where Riker and Picard celebrate the birth of Riker's son, Thaddeus. Riker recalled the day he was called to sickbay from the bridge of the Titan due to an urgent matter involving his unborn son. Riker said the turbo lift ride to sickbay took 17 seconds, the longest turbo lift of his life, as he worried about the viability of his child. Picard commented, and in that moment, you became a father. Back to the present, in sickbay, Dr. Beverly Crusher tends to an injured crew member while Jack looks on. Crusher advises the crewman to take it easy and sends him on his way as Picard and Riker enter. Initially, Jack refuses to leave when Riker suggests they allow Picard and Beverly a private moment. However, Beverly convinces her son to do so. Beverly tells Picard Jack was conceived on Casperia Prime during the short leave the two of them spent together. She recalled they both knew they were at the end of their latest attempt at maintaining a romantic relationship. Two months after this encounter, Beverly would transfer from her assignment on the Enterprise E. Beverly and Picard engage in an intense verbal conversation concerning her decision not to tell Picard about the pregnancy. Beverly contends she had experienced seeing people she loved die before fully living their lives. She did not want the experience of Jack considering Picard constantly found his life in danger. Picard argued it was not her decision alone to make as it whether he should be cut out of his own son's life. Riker and Picard return to the bridge as the Shrike once again locates the Titan. Vedic, the Shrike's captain, fires upon the Titan, damaging the ship and injuring some crew members, including Captain Shaw. Shaw transfers command to Riker before being taken to sickbay. The moment we've been waiting for. <laughs> Riker and Picard conf conflict on how to deal with the Shrike as the Titan moves close to the edge of the nebula. Picard argues they should attempt to destroy the Shrike while Riker focuses on getting the Titan and its crew to safety. However, they are found by the Shrike yet again. Before the Titan can get away, the Shrike uses its portal technology to pull the ship back into the nebula. 
In sickbay, Jack deduces the Shrike must be using a way to track the Titan using some sort of signature the ship is unknowingly emitting. He attempts to personally alert the bridge to his theory, but is rebuffed by a security officer. He then is able to free Seven from her quarters where she had been held for insubordination. Jack and Seven don protective masks and discover a veterium leak from the warp coil that's likely had been damaged by a saboteur. When Seven leaves to report the matter to the bridge, Ensign Foster finds Jack and in a brief fight ensues revealing the crew member to actually be a changeling. The Ensign incapacitates Jack and removes his mask, exposing him to the deadly veterium gas. Bakari goes to sickbay when alerted Jack has been found but is now near death. Fortunately, Jack is saved and tells Picard the saboteur appears to be a changeling. Back on the bridge, Picard persuades Riker to position the Titan behind the Shrike and fire upon it. Riker orders the bridge crew to carry out the plan, but it backfires when the Shrike uses the portal weapon to teleport the torpedoes the Titan had just fired behind the Starfleet vessel, knocking out its engines. Severely damaged, the Titan is pulled down, finding itself at the mercy of the nebula's gravitational well. In anger, Riker orders Picard from the bridge, contending that the Admiral has just killed us all. Mm. Yeah, he says that in front of the crew. Not really a good command move. <laughs> In the subplot, Rafi and Worf capture Rika, a criminal they believe is responsible for the destruction of the Matalas Prime Starfleet Academy Recruitment Center and the deaths of 117 people. They discover Rika is actually a changeling when he is unable to retain his human form and reverts to its natural form as a liquid. Before the changeling can escape, Worf vaporizes it with his phaser. Worf informs Rafi the changeling was with a splinter group that has continued to fight the Federation since the Dominion War. They deduce the attack on Metallus Prime was a ruse used as a distraction to hide their true intentions. Worf tells Rafi they will work together and uncover the real plot. All right. So let's move to the credits. Sure, go right ahead. 17 Seconds was written by Jane Maggs and Cindy Apple. The episode was directed by well-known actor and director Jonathan Franks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maggs joined Picard last season as a writer and supervising producer. This season she was promoted to co-executive producer. Maggs other TV credits include The Man Who Fell to Earth for Apple TV Plus and the Canadian-based Netflix series Anne with an E. She is also known for creating the CBC series Bellevue. For Picard, Mags co-wrote The Watcher, Two of One, and Monsters for season two of Star Trek Picard. She will return later this season as the writer of episode seven. Cindy Appel is writer and producer, best known 
for writing f for Picard, MacGyver, and Superior Donuts, all written for CBS or its streaming cousin, Paramount Plus. Apple joined the production last season as a writer-producer. She was promoted to supervising producer this season. Apple's Star Trek writing credits include Fly Me to the Moon, Two of One, and Mercy for season two of Picard. This season, she will return as the writer of episode five called The Imposter. These two writers wrote episode six of season two of Picard, the episode entitled Two of One. It was one of the worst episodes of the entire season. Yes, it was. Now let's move on to the analysis. All right. Well, here's the theme. The theme of the episode is regret. It's regret that fuels much of the interpersonal conflicts in this episode. Throughout it, parents will have to grapple with their helplessness in the face of losing a child and debate the regrets they hold for their actions. Our first impressions. Before the opening credits, 17 seconds gives us a quiet but significant flashback sequence showing a younger Riker and Picard celebrating the birth of Thaddeus Riker. In it, Riker shares the terror that gripped him when he was urgently called to sickbay as his unborn child's life was threatened in the first few moments of labor. This bittersweet memory helps us understand the motivations of several characters in this episode. Specifically, both Riker and Picard will justify their opposing points of view by an intimate understanding of the stakes at, that is presented in that scene. Ironically, their observations about one another will also become more accurate than those they hold about themselves. For the most part, the acting in 17 seconds is strong. Jonathan Frakes, Patrick Stewart, and Gates McFadden all deliver powerful performances. We're given some two-person scenes where the theme of regret is highlighted. This episode has the responsibility of giving us answers to questions raised by this season's story. Especially powerful is a sickbay scene between Picard and Beverly. It's important because this one scene is doing the heavy lifting for the episode. This scene has to convince the audience of all the reasons why Beverly kept Picard unaware that he had a child. Although she doesn't exactly make a strong case for denying Picard the joy of raising a son, the performances are compelling. What comes across clearly is what a fine actor Gates McFadden truly is. Patrick Stewart's body of work before, during, and after Star Trek is sufficient evidence to his depth of skill. TNG also provided him with more than enough opportunities to display his talents on the show as well. But Gates wasn't that lucky. Both she and Marina Sirtis struggled to receive scripts that gave them something more to do than just simply become someone's love interest or abuse victim. That's not the case here this time. In this scene, Beverly takes a firm stand on why she intentionally kept Picard in the dark about Jack, even as Picard struggles to contain the pain and anguish her actions have caused him. 
Beverly is resolute. With resentment toward her growing, you see Picard realize how much was stolen from him by her actions. But there is a flaw in Beverly's argument. In 2379, Beverly discovered she was pregnant shortly before she left the Enterprise, meaning Jack is roughly 21 or 22 years old. She decided to keep the birth a secret, which explains why she severed contact with all of her former shipmates almost immediately after leaving for Starfleet Medical. Beverly's justification for keeping Picard in the dark was her fear of losing Jack to all of the potential threats that would come his way as the child of Jean-Luc Picard. Again, much, of, much like Carol Marcus in The Wrath of Khan, Beverly's actions are intended to shield Jack from his father. Similar to David Marcus, later on Jack developed his own reasons for avoiding a relationship with his father. Most of them are based on false assumptions about who Picard is. Jack's anger at Picard is unjustified. For Beverly, she didn't want to lose another close loved one in the same forces that had taken everyone else in her life, her parents, her husband, and to a certain extent, her older son. A violent and unpredictable life amongst the stars. A life with Jean-Luc Picard is one where those closest to him live under constant threat. Although it's clear that Beverly believes this, the argument is difficult to accept given the circumstances. She was a Starfleet officer. Beverly knew the dangers of that life. It sounds odd coming from someone who first met Picard as the captain of the Stargazer where she lost her husband Jack. Single mother Beverly Crusher follows Picard to the Enterprise with her young son Wesley. It's logical to assume that commanding the flagship of the Federation puts his and everyone else's life in greater danger. Yet this is where she decides to raise her child. Then, in 2365, Beverly is offered the position to head Starfleet Medical, and she takes it but leaves Wesley behind on board the Enterprise. Yeah. So there are num numerous scenes where Beverly and Wesley refer to the Enterprise as home. In the seventh season episode, Journey's End, when the Traveler returns to invite Wesley to, enjoy, to explore different planes of existence, Beverly puts up mild resistance. If the scene weren't so well acted and enjoyable to watch, it would be a greater disruption. So this, all this trauma and this anxiety about the proximity of a child near Picard, right. it doesn't come out of the context of what we already know. That's right. You know? Two other powerful subplots occupy this episode and both feature the director, Jonathan Frakes, as actor. In 17 seconds, Picard and Riker have a fluid relationship based upon years of trust and shared experiences but they soon find themselves on opposite sides of what is the best course for dealing with Vatic, fight or flight. Riker wants to run away and get this crew safe as soon as possible. Picard, on the other hand, is recommending attacking her. 
What's motivating the position of both men is regret and fear of loss. For Riker, he has been carrying the death of his son Thad around him with every move. The reason he felt out of sorts in his home on Nepenthe is because he's telegraphing his grief. That's what his comments meant about his empathic wife and daughter were happy to have some space from him. He is still grieving the death of his son, and that has made him overly cautious. Every command decision is a decision to save as many lives as possible as opposed to eliminating the threat. When Riker takes, his adv takes Picard's advice and chooses to fight back, he's outdone by the portal weapon that transports the Titan's own photon torpedoes back onto itself. His anger at Picard is really anger at himself for failing in his attempt to save his crew. Picard, on the other hand, has come to a different conclusion. The estranged relationship with his son, a son he never knew he had, has ignited his parental instincts. There are people threatening the life of Jack, and Picard's singular mission is to protect him at all costs. He regrets the time lost between them, a 20-year gap that could have filled, been filled with love and laughter. A 20 years that could have transformed him into a different man. Picard must save his son he barely knows and the attention to this mission has made him more desperate and blind to the consequences of his actions. Now with the Titan defenseless slowly being drawn into the gravity well, it's clear that both men couldn't see beyond their own pain. The other scene will... Riker shines in is when he attempts to entertain and comfort Jack while his parents have the most difficult conversation of their lives. Riker is deceptively calm and unbothered when Jack interrupts him or calls him Riker as if they've known each other all their lives. Riker also stands up for Picard when this brass young man wants to criticize him without knowing his father at all. Even though he talks to this young man in an attempt to help him understand the father he never knew, Riker is also seeking, to seeking the comfort of parenting. Jack is not much older than Thaddeus would have been had he survived. Riker communicates his own longing as he watches Jack pace back and forth. Thinking of the similarities between his son and Picard's is visible in the way he looks at Jack Crusher. It's subtle, but it's layered in this simple scene so beautifully. Once again, Jonathan Frake delivers, this time as both an actor and director. And so here's our final thoughts. There are some truly strong acting being done this season, but there are still a few troubling things on the edges of this show that look awfully familiar. Beverly's argument doesn't add up when you look at her behavior in the past. Secondly, Ed Spillers isn't really compelling as Jack Crusher. Outside of being nothing more than a purely 
a man-made plot device. Also, what do people want from him? In episode two, Vatic attempts to beam him off the Ilios, which leads Picard to conclude that they want, need him alive. Yet, since the chase into the nebula, Vatic hasn't shown any concern about capturing Jack alive. In fact, the changeling spy was willing to kill Jack either by concussion or by the retirium gas. And not only that, if Picard was the real target, why didn't Vedic try to beam him off of the Ilios as opposed to Jack? So here's the question that keeps pondering and it's disturbing me. So what is the importance of Jack Crusher to the forces that have been chasing and trying to kill them? All right. I agree. So now let's look at the changelings. For those who are not familiar with anything about DS9, here's a quick primer on the changelings. Changelings are shape-shifting, gelatinous beings who can take any form. Originally from the Gamma Quadrant, they are called the founders by the other Gamma Quadrant species they've conquered. Their empire is known as the Dominion. To some of their subjects, the changelings are considered gods. Odo, DS9's head of security, is a changeling. The Dominion waged a covert war on the Alpha Quadrant that soon heated up as the changeling spies were discovered in both Starfleet and the Klingon High Council. The Dominion and their allies were eventually defeated by the Federation when Section 31 unleashed a deadly virus targeting the shapeshifters. A peace treaty was signed provided that Odo took an antidote for the virus back to the Great Link, the Changeling's collective pool on their home world. Okay, so now let's do bits and pieces. And, and this is called the what? The Jack Crusher edition. Because <laughs> everything is about Jack Crusher. Okay. So let's look first at Jack's birth year. The internet speculation around Jack's birth was massive before this episode. Some had it occurring during 2365, the year when Beverly had left the Enterprise in Season 2, of the Next Generation series. This was pushed primarily on the fact that actor Ed Spilliers is 34, and if Jack had been born that year, he too would have been 34 in the show this season. Although it's hard to buy Ed as someone in his early 20s, it's better than having Beverly abandoning a newborn child for five years while she returns to the side of her baby's daddy. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, One Punch Man. Um, if you're like me, you probably have realized in the span of three episodes, Jack Crusher has knocked out two security guards with <laughs> one blow. <laughs> is uh, Starfleet only recruiting glass-jawed individuals or is Jack deceptively strong? Because <laughs> That was just, it, it was ridiculous the first time. Right, But right. the second time was even worse. And now let's talk about Jack's vision. Okay. Jack is attacked by the changeling spy aboard the Titan when he sees someone has stopped 
the Vertirium leak. The shapeshifter beats Jack and rips the gas mask from his face. It's in this vulnerable state that Jack is almost overwhelmed by the gas. Jack has a strange vision of Seven coming to him saying, connect the branches and find me. As these thick red vines grow up the walls and across the ceiling behind her, this vision is followed by the appearance of a red door, slightly ajar, in the middle of a red wall. It's unclear what any of this means other than we may not know everything about Jack. Yeah, I would like to believe that there's more to Jack than what we've seen thus far. (laughs) Okay, now let's move on to Star Trek news. Let's begin with uh, The Ready Room. The latest installment of The Ready Room began with a featurette on the design of the Titan. Will Wheaton, host of The Ready Room, then conducted an interesting interview with Jonathan Frakes, who provided insights on his character, Captain Will Riker, as well as those of his directing process. The episode ended with a featurette on Worf, the Star Trek character with the most appearances in Trek television series and films. This was followed by a trailer from the next episode of Picard entitled No Win Scenario. Gotcha, I wonder what that means. (laughs) Next up in the news, which is kind of sad, it's Discovery's ending its run. According to The Hollywood Reporter, the fifth season of Star Trek Discovery will be its final season. Fans will have to wait, however, until 2024 for the season to premiere. Launched in 2017, Discovery is credited with successfully launching a new era of Trek TV. The series starring Sonequa Martin-Green was heralded as the first Trek show headed by a black female lead, plus it marked other firsts along the way in L. LGBT plus representation. In addition, the series helped launch CBS's streaming service and currently stands as Paramount Plus longest running drama. The success of Discovery led to a multitude of other Trek projects being developed, including Picard, Strange New Worlds, and animated shows Lower Decks and Prodigy. Executive producers and co-showrunners Alex Kurtzman and Michelle Paradise wrote the farewell announcement, which reads in part, As lifelong fans of Star Trek, it has been an immense honor and privilege to help bring Star Trek Discovery to the world. The Trek universe means so much to so many, including us, and we couldn't be proud of everything Discovery has contributed to its legacy, particularly with representation. Of course, there would be no discovery without Sonequa Martin-Green and the extraordinary team of artists, both in front of and behind the camera, who have brought this show to life. Sources for The Hollywood Reporter say principal filming for the fifth season is mostly complete, but with this move to end the show, there will obviously be some additional filming to help craft a a better conclusion to the series. So here are our thoughts. 
Of course, at the end of its run, Gary and I will produce a proper overview of the series. However, we wanted to provide a few initial reactions. Obviously, we're disappointed in the decision to end Discovery at this time. Yes, we commend the producers for placing a black woman as captain Finally. and lead of a series for the first time in Star Trek history. However, when the series ends in 2024, Berman will have been in that position for only two seasons. Also, Discovery's total number of episodes will be fewer than the three-year run of the original series. Surely, there are many more adventures of the Discovery crew waiting to be told. In addition, it seems clear Discovery was sacrificed to make room for other Star Trek projects based on either Starfleet Academy, Section 31, or perhaps one inspired by one of the or more TNG characters and their offspring. Hint, hint. (laughs) (laughs) It's questionable whether these shows will be set in Discovery's 32nd century timeline. If so, that means that we may never have another chance to see Discovery's characters again. Although it's already been said, it should be emphasized the importance of Sonequa Martin-Green, her castmates, and the production crew in reviving Star Trek for television. Before Discovery, a dozen years had passed since the last Trek series, Star Trek Enterprise. The production of a new series was seen as a highly risky gamble. If not for the, the success of Discovery in significantly contributing to the viability of its global platform, Paramount Plus certainly would have had a more difficult time achieving its business growth protections. Finally, we don't understand why more than a full year has to pass before broadcasting the final season. Right. We believe the fans deserve better, and why not start the fifth season in November or December of this year and then conclude it in 2024. All right. But unfortunately, um, we don't have control of the scheduling <laughs> no, at we don't. Paramount Plus. This, this, okay, this is off script. This really sucks. And um, I'm starting to, I started feeling apprehensive about this a couple of months ago with the whole Wilson Cruz comment that had to be backtracked. And I am what, starting to get the same. What Wilson Cruz comment? He made a comment about, he was asked um, on Tignataro's podcast, when did he think the show was going to premiere? And he said in the spring. And then I've heard there have been rumors that the cast did not find out about the cancellation until a week before it was announced. Mm. And so that in itself kind of... Yeah, told you which way the wind was blowing. Right. I mean, they came out with this... um, Paramount Plus executives had come out with this um, statement saying that they were going to cut back on their streaming costs. And then almost within a few days, you get this press release saying that that this show has been canceled. Right. All right. It's just starting to feel a lot like the way things went down with uh, DS9 when it went off the air. 
Okay, but in closing, <laughs> we'll be back next week with our analysis of No Win Scenario, Episode 4 of Star Trek Picard Season 3. Before we sign off, we would like to remind you to share a link to Age of Discovery with people you know who enjoy Star Trek as well. Also, since we've been producing this show since September of 2017, we want to suggest that you explore our full catalog of episodes. Our podcast includes analysis of every episode of Star Trek Discovery, Picard, Lower Decks, Prodigy, and Strange New Worlds, as well as reviews of the short treks and several special topic shows. Please recommend our podcast to your friends or family members who want to dig deeper into the Star Trek universe. Until that time, like, subscribe, and follow Star Trek Age of Discover on Twitter and Instagram at Star Trek AOD, at Facebook at facebook.com slash Star Trek AOD, at our website, Star Trek AOD.net, where you, we offer additional articles on Star Trek canon, interesting sidebar issues, and other aspects of the show. And finally, email us at the show at Star Trek AOD at gmail.com. But until then, live long and possible.